Hello everyone and welcome back to the Back Markers podcast episode number 14 and I'm going to address the elephant in the room right away and I'm sorry for not getting a podcast episode out to you last week. I had a big 60,000 words over 100 pages long group project with university to finish and I just couldn't find time before the deadline to actually get out and record a podcast post Spanish Grand Prix. So again, I apologise for that and this week's episode will be a bumper episode covering the race weekend review of the Spanish Grand Prix, but I think I'll skip practice. We'll just do qualifying and the race itself along with my opinion on the race as well as your Monaco preview for this weekend's Monaco Grand Prix. Birthday weekend for me as well, so not good. it's going to be a good one it's going to be a good one but um yeah so normal service is resumed from now back to weekly episodes simply because most of my university work is finished now so i can focus on other things so with that being said without further ado let's get into the race weekend review for the spanish grand prix and the monaco grand prix preview so without further ado again, let's get into episode number 14 of the Backmarkers podcast. So we'll skip over practice, like I just said, and we'll get into qualifying and mainly the race, as it is old news now. It's been a week since the Spanish Grand Prix, so just a quick overview of qualifying. We had Hamilton on pole with Max in second with Bottas third. Another... Stellar performance for my boy, Charles Leclerc, qualifying fourth again. And we have Esteban Ocon in P5 as well, which was another good qualifying session for him. Unfortunately, Sergio Perez, not as much as he qualified in eighth behind Daniel Ricciardo, who out-qualified Lando Norris for the first time this season. To round out the top 10, we have... Lando Norris in ninth and Fernando Alonso in 10th. Other notable qualifying things were the fact that George Russell managed to get P15 into Q2 with Williams. And that is roughly about it. So we move into the race. And as we all know, the Spanish Grand Prix isn't exactly the most thrilling of races for wheel-to-wheel action and overtaking and decent racing mainly because of the track layout the fact that they've driven there so many times for testing and that chicane right at the end which again don't know why it's even there but we move back to the race so going into the race i thought it would be a very boring race just a bit of a procession and then i'd go about my day but what i found was is that over the course of the race despite the wheel-to-wheel action not really being there The strategic battle between Mercedes and Red Bull was one to behold. It's a very strategic race rather than an out-and-out race for speed, which is what they usually are. But on the first lap, we have lights out and Max takes P1 going into the first corner, which I was celebrating at because I just don't want Hamilton to win. And my boy, Charles Leclerc, up into P3, as well as Ricardo up into 5th from P7, and Mick Schumacher up into P16. So moving on from that 
really good overtake by Max Verstappen on the first lap, he manages to open up a one and a half second gap to Hamilton on the first lap. Meanwhile, towards the back of the grid, specifically in P12, we had Pierre Gasly, who was penalised later in the race because of a was car. He'd been too far over the line on the grid position, led to an unfair advantage, so they gave him a five-second time penalty because of it. So not much happened in between Pierre getting a penalty and then coming out again. So we had lap seven, we have a safety car, and that safety car is for Yuki Tsunoda, who just engine failure failed. Not a good weekend for him criticising his team, which he later apologised for, and then eventually finishing P60, well, not even finishing at all, he crashed out of the race due to the engine failure. So the safety car comes out, and under this safety car, a couple of teams come into the pits, and you see Antonio Giovinazzi having a slow, slow stop, simply because of a medium tyre that wasn't actually pumped up on Alfa Romeo's part. Bit of a rookie error from then, but I'm sure they will learn from it and move on. So Giovinazzi has a slow stop, and some teams come into the pits to go on the medium tyres from the soft tyres, mainly main one of those being Williams, who did a double stop, one after the other, stacked to the stops, and just sent them out on the medium tyres. Safety car comes in, we get a bit more racing, and on lap 17, Lewis Hamilton is within DRS range of Max Verstappen. Moving on to lap 19 is when Pierre Gasly serves his penalty for the overbearing, I should say, at the start. And again, I haven't. This is in terms of notes. This race was the least amount of notes that I've written, partially because I was doing uni work at the same time but I did watch the race regardless. So on lap 23, so we are about a third of the way into the race, Nikita Mazepin gets lapped, which isn't a surprise at the end of the day. But the key thing about this lapping is that later on, he blocks Hamilton. So he's been lapped by Max, and then Max comes into the pits on lap 24, just as he's about to be overtaken. Which is a bit of a oof. But this would be where the race starts to fall apart for Red Bull. As it was later revealed, after the race had concluded, that there was a miscommunication between Max's race engineer, GP, and himself, meaning that Max came into the pits, I think it may have been a lap too early, and he, as a result, had a slow stop as well. But it was nothing like the Giovinazzi slow stop, it was only a four and a half second slow stop rather than like a 30 second uh, slow stop. So he comes in before Lewis on lap 24. Now this is where I move back to the Nikita Mazepin stuff because we had an FIA Toto Wolf graphic on the screen whilst this was happening. Toto saying, come on, Michael, he's we're going to lose the track position because of him because he's not moving out of the way of the blue flags. just It's just another notch on Nikita Mazepin's shite F1 career. And I I would go so far as to say I'd put money on him annoying every single driver on the grid by 
the end of the season. I think he's already on like five or six at the moment because we saw in practice one, Charles being like, Mazepin will never change after spinning again. So a couple of laps later, back to the race, Lewis Hamilton pits onto the medium tyres with Max five seconds ahead as he comes out on the pits. And then Hamilton on the medium tyres is putting one and a half seconds on Max per lap at this rate. And he tried to overtake him on lap 40 with the DRS and failed. And this is where the race gets interesting from a strategic point. Because from this point, three laps later, Lewis Hamilton pits again onto the fresh set of softer tyres. Or is it a fresh set of mediums? Can't remember. One or the other. Puts a fresh set of tyres on and goes out again. And at this point in the race, I wrote down on lap 46 that Max needs to pit again in order to try and win this race, which is something that Red Bull didn't do. And when Lewis came out of the pits out on lap 40, well, on lap 43, he was putting on, it was a 20 second gap between him and Max, and he was putting on two seconds a lap. GP is on the radio to Max saying, Max, he's going to catch you on the last lap. Be prepared to defend. But Lewis Hamilton just absolutely storms through the field and he gets hit by a blockage. I wonder who that's by. By his own teammate, Valtteri Bottas being told to move out of the way for Lewis to move, and he simply didn't do it. Bottas showing that selfish side that he's always talked about but hasn't really shown. But in this case, he blocked Hamilton just for a bit. Not that it would really matter in the grand scheme of the race. But, but it was a talking point afterwards. So he's doing this, putting on two and a half seconds, 10 laps to go. The gap between Max and Lewis is 6.7 seconds. And then a few laps later, Lewis would eventually overtake Max. And at this point in the race, the top four were, the top five even, were Hamilton, Max, Bottas, Charles Leclerc, and Sergio Perez. And each one of them had a 20 plus second gap on the next lot. So you had Hamilton and Max out in front. And you had a 20 plus second gap to Bottas. And you had a 20 plus second gap to Charles, who had a 20 second plus gap to Perez. And you saw in the final final stints of this part of this race, Red Bull pit Sergio, put him on the soft tyres to try and get that fastest lap. Ferrari pit Charles, get him on the fastest lap tyres, the softer tyres. Mercedes pit Bottas to put him on a fresh set of tyres to be like, to try and get that fastest lap. And then Max realising that the race isn't won on tyres that have been shredded to fuck. My bad. They've been shredded due to the length, the stint that he was doing it on. He pitted and eventually got that fastest lap. Comes to the end of the race and Lewis Hamilton wins again. Is all I've written. On to Monaco in less than a week's time. But other notable mentions from this race were Lando Norris being given a black and white flag for moving under break-in 
whilst defending from Carlos Sainz. Lance doing roughly the same thing and getting pinged with dangerous driving. Again, black and white flag, I think. And towards the end of the race, you just saw the people on the one-stop strategies really, really fade. George Russell lost a lot of places, even though he'd stopped twice, but those medium tyres were shot. And the most notable one of this was Fernando Alonso dropping all the way down to 17th place after holding up the field for most of the race. He'll come good. I think he'll challenge Ocon, but not for the time being. So your final race, well, the race table for this Spanish Grand Prix, you had Hamilton in first with Max 15 seconds back on him. Valtteri, 26 seconds back from Hamilton. Charles, 54 seconds back in fourth. And then Perez in fifth. Is your top five. Round out your top ten is Daniel Ricciardo, Carlos Sainz, Landon Norris, Esteban Ocon, and Pierre Gasly, who overtook Lance Stroll, I believe, on the last lap to get that final point. So what do I think of this race? It was a very strategic race rather than a wheel-to-wheel race, which is what I was saying at the start, but it just showed you how good Mercedes are. Now, I'm I'm not the person who constantly goes on Twitter as soon as Lewis Hamilton breathes and then defends him. Say, oh my God, it's, it's just the car. Oh, it's not just the car. He's an amazing driver. I get that Lewis Hamilton is an amazing driver, but the people on Twitter apologising for Lewis Hamilton often misconstrue everything. Lewis Hamilton can win a, win a Grand Prix with not being challenged at all by 30 plus seconds and it's a masterclass. It's not a masterclass, that's just easy. That just means that Mercedes and Lewis have bought the best strategy and the best car and the best driving technique to the plate if he wins by that much. If it had been like Bahrain, when, when Lewis beat Max at Bahrain, say without the track limits incident, if he'd beaten him at Bahrain, that's a masterclass, keeping him behind for all that time, forcing him into errors like the track limits debate. But it's for the people who come out on Twitter after the race, whenever Lewis wins and says, tell me it's just the fastest car now. It's really starting to grind my gears. The whole F1 community knows that Lewis Hamilton is the best driver on the grid. Please stop telling me. I know, I get it. Back to the point though. What did I think of this race? Give it a 6 out of 10. Not the best, but definitely not the worst. It's not Sochi or Abu Dhabi levels of bad. But we saw good weekends from Charles Leclerc. We saw a better weekend from Daniel Ricciardo. Finally looking like he's getting to grips with that McLaren with a strong P6 finish. Even he will acknowledge that he can do better. And I would hopefully see Daniel up into the top five very soon. Other interesting performances. We had Sebastian Vettel didn't have a good race finishing P13. Two places behind his teammate again. George, I think, was running in P11 at one point. But again, the tyres fucked his... Oh, sorry, my bad again. Tyres screwed his race, meaning that he dropped back down to P14. Still finishing one place above where he qualified, which is good. And, yeah. So, the person that I want to talk about the most from this race is Sergio Perez, where... Online and in the media, he seems to be getting absolutely slated for not finishing 
close to Max or Lewis, or Valtteri for that matter. And I just want to put my piece out there regarding Sergio Perez. Because I'm full, I'm I'm behind Perez, and I think he's an amazing driver. I saw a graphic on Twitter then. Oh, my camera nearly fell off my stand. I saw a graphic on Twitter that Perez is the slowest in comparison to Max in the same amount of race time between him and Gasly and Albon. Now. Statistically, you can't argue with that. If the stats are saying he is that much slower, then he is that much slower. But I'm thinking in more of a general sense. When Perez joined Force India, now Racing Point, now Aston Martin, he was at that team for seven years. So he's been developing the, the Aston Martin car for seven years. In that seven years that car has been adapted and built towards his driving. Arguably, he has been the lead driver at that team when he was there. But that car has been adapted to his driving, to his personal feeling, his driving style. And he's had seven years to mould his driving style to that car. On the contrary, he's now just joined Red Bull. And Red Bull, the second seat, has typically been the hardest seat in Formula 1 to have, essentially, because you've got Helmut Marko being a toxic knobhead. You've got immense pressure from... It's a big team. It's one of the, it's one of the big three teams, isn't it? From Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull. They're the top three st like of stature at the moment. And that's, that second Red Bull seat has been consistently hard to handle, consistently hard to drive, and consistently hard to be constantly compared to Verstappen. Going back to the point I just made about the car though, he's had seven years to mould that Force India car to his driving style. This is the first year, and it might be his only year, mind, this is the first year that he's had at Red Bull. He's got to have at least four to five races to firmly get a foothold in that car to be like, right, this is it. This is how I'm going to drive it. This is what I need to do when I go into a corner. This is what I need to do when I'm on a straight. This is when I activate DRS, everything. He's got to learn that from scratch in a car that isn't necessarily built for him. It's built more for Max. And Max's driving style and Perez's driving style are two completely different things. So I, me personally, I'm, I said the same with Daniel Ricciardo. You've got to wait five or six races for him to really, really show what he's doing. If after Monaco, and if after, I think the next race on the calendar is Baku, Monaco, typically a Red Bull, heavy, heavily favoured Red Bull track. If he doesn't perform, as in we're talking top four, close to, or if not, in amongst Max, Lewis and Valtteri, then you can start to judge and say, right, is Perez good enough to drive for Red Bull? Is Perez good enough to be that teammate for Verstappen but until then the jury isn't out yet because he's out qualified Verstappen he's shown that he's got race pace in that Red Bull but he's just not got close enough to the front three as of yet but there is a race win I think inside Perez this season fingers crossed but that was my quick thoughts 
and views from the Spanish Grand Prix. We will now move into the preview for the Monaco Grand Prix. But before we get into the Monaco Grand Prix preview, we'll I'll give you a quick championship update. So go from bottom to top. So we have Nikita Mazepin, Nicholas Latifi, Mick Schumacher, George Russell, Sebastian Vettel, Antonio Giovinazzi, and Kimi Raikkonen all on zero points from 20th up to 14th. Yuki Tsunoda in P13 with two points. Fernando Alonso in P12 with five points, along with Lance Stroll, who also has five points in P11. P10, we have Pierre Gasly on eight points, with Carlos Sainz in P8 on 20 points. In P7, we have Daniel Ricciardo on 24 points, with Sergio Perez above him in P6 on 32 points. In P5, we have Charles Leclerc on 40 points, not far behind his fellow midfield rival of Lando Norris, who also has 41 points in P4. And your top three, you have Valtteri Bottas on 47 points, Max Verstappen on 80 points and Lewis Hamilton on 14 points. That gap slightly increasing from the last race. Moving on to your Constructors type Constructors Championship. Three teams are still on zero points and that is Haas, Williams and Alfa Romeo. In P7 we have Aston Martin on five points, then Alfa Tauri in P6 on 10 points, Alpine in P5 with 15 points, and then the top four, top four, we have Ferrari on 60 points, McLaren on 65 points, Red Bull on 112 points, and Mercedes on 141 points in P1. So moving on to Monaco. We've all missed it. It provides the best qualifying session. Maybe not the best races anymore, simply because the cars are now two metres wide, which is pretty much the same height as me, I'm six foot four, six foot five. And it's a very narrow circuit, little room for error. So this is the first time, well, it's the first time Monaco's back since coronavirus, and it's the first time it's missed an event on the F1 calendar since 1954. And there's also more good news, is that there will be fan attendance at Monaco with 7,500 people a day, which I think is probably the biggest one, biggest return for fans since this the start of this season. I know there was over 20,000 fans at the Portuguese Grand Prix last year, but this season there hasn't been barely any. You saw it in Bahrain, there was next to none in the stands. There was none at Catalonia, there was none at Portimao, there was none at Imola, except for the people in the houses that live nearby. Oh, what I would do to live in Imola next to the track. That would be sick. Anyway, back to the Monaco Grand Prix. And the last time we were in Monaco, Lewis won with Max behind him. And we all saw what happened with Max essentially hitting the back of him, but only because Hamilton wouldn't get out of the way. Saw a podium for Sebastian Vettel in this race in P2. But back to Monaco this year, and in a one-off special livery, McLaren have announced yesterday that they've partnered with Golf 
to give us a McLaren Golf livery, which looks absolutely phenomenal. And I really, really want it to be their livery going forward. The light blue mixed with the pop, like a popping papaya looks incredible. So at McLaren, Daniel Ricciardo has been talking and he told Sky Sports F1 that, well, he told them that he's very excited to go back to Monaco after two years. He says that when his career is said and done, we can bring a road car here and keep doing some laps of Barcelona, for example, but you can't do that in Monaco. Maybe with the historic Grand Prix, but it's a track you don't get the privilege of driving at all that often and miss it for a year. I just can't wait to go back. Obviously, I believe it's Ricardo's last race win was at Monaco in 2018. And everyone's excited to be going back to Monaco. It's a very unique setting, isn't it? With the yachts, the rich people, the money, the champagne, everything on a tight street circuit is pretty, pretty good. So in to throw some statistics at you, we've got Lewis Hamilton, who's appeared in 13 Monaco Grand Prix, but he's only ever won the race three times out of those 13. Last one coming in 2019. But this will really show the next part of the story for Hamilton and Stappen. And on the four races that we've had this year, between those two cars, there have been six overtakes. And because Hamilton has won back-to-back -back in Portugal and in Spain, he's now got a 14-point gap over Max Verstappen, which I have said already. So if Hamilton crashes out and Max finishes first, he could go first in the championship which is what we really want to see. Going back to Monaco 2019 though, Vettel got on the podium with Bottas because Verstappen was penalised for an unsafe release time penalty after making contact with Bottas in the pit lane, unfortunately for him. And it means that Max has actually never registered a podium finish that's counted in Monaco Although I think this season, I think Max Verstappen is definitely going to be the favourite for this race. It's the first time, this is it's a street circuit even, it's the first time with two consecutive street circuits back to back. We've got Monaco this week and Azerbaijan next week. I mean, first time in the calendar, obviously it's happened before. But what else will we see going forward into this race? Are we going to see... A more heated battle between Ferrari and McLaren. Are Ferrari going to try and challenge Red Bull and try and challenge Mercedes to win the race? With Charles in his home country for the first time in two years racing in his home hometown, he's going to be really up for it this weekend. It'd be good to see, it'd be good to see a more midfield battle really, really kept together and really, really competitive. Down the bottom end of the field, we're going to see Haas improve. I mean, Mick Schumacher has been improving race on race, but Nikita Mazepin hasn't. And it'd just be a test to see whether Mick can push on from last week's really positive race. And last couple of positive races for him. Elsewhere in the midfield, will we see Aston Martin improve? They've had a pretty shocking performance so far this season with the aero upgrades that are now on both cars. 
not really doing much and they still are yet to score a double points finish in 2021 unlike other teams like McLaren who I think are the only team to have scored a double points finish in every single race this season will we see Alpine continue their resurgence I would say after having a poor showing in Bahrain they've really really pulled it back in the past couple of races, especially with Esteban Ocon, absolutely smashing Fernando Alonso at the moment in race pace. I think he's finished ahead of him 4-0 at the moment. But again, Fernando Alonso does not look like he has lost a touch, continuing to race to a very, very grand scale. Just to give a quick prediction for this race, I'm going for a Max Verstappen win with Lewis Hamilton second and... I quite fancy Sergio Perez to finally prove people wrong in that Red Bull and to get a P3. Valtteri P4, Charles P5 to round out the top 10. Top 10? I mean top 5 even. I think you'll also see Sainz, Ricardo, Norris, Gasly and I'm going to say Ocon in the top 10 as well. I think that was roughly about the same, same people as 10 but... You can correct me in the comments or just correct me on Twitter if you really, really want to. But we move on from the preview for the McLaren, from the McLaren Grand Prix, for the Monaco Grand Prix, one of my favourite races of the year because it always lies in and around my birthday, which is, the, which is this week. And it's not on my birthday this year, but I'll be watching it this weekend when I am hungover. Anyway... Back to the point. We're going to move on to some news. And in the news this week, we've conceded, conceded, we've seed, seen, we have seen, if I can get my words out again, <laughs> I really struggle. <laughs> we have seen that more F1 teams have been testing the 18-inch tyres at Barcelona. I think this week's teams were Alfa Romeo, and Red Bull, you saw Alex Albon come back in to do some testing on the 18-inch tyres. I must say, those 18-inch tyres do look so, so nice. And I'm so excited for next season. New, new regulations, it's going to be a good one. Anyway, the reason why these teams have been testing these tyres is just to get different data from... Different data for the teams and different data back to Pirelli, as Pirelli at the start of the season were granted 28 days of testing to work towards the specification of next year's tyres and compounds. So we had Alfa Romeo and Red Bull testing at this time. I wonder what they all thought of it, but I'm sure they will uh, relay that back to Pirelli and relay that back to their factories to see how they can get just that little bit of edge going into 2022. With Robert Kubica, who's a test driver for Alfa Romeo, coming out after the test saying it's been a busy but productive two days. It's always interesting to discover new features of the car, especially when it's something as important as the tyres. These are our team's first steps with the new 18-inch tyres, so there is a lot to learn. We covered lots of laps, lots of miles, and got a lot of data that will keep everybody busy. It's been a tough few days. I hadn't been in the car for a while before last Friday and to run for two days on such a demanding track was a challenge, but one we happily completed with success. Moving on to other news stories of the week. In happier news to 
well, in happy news for you all listening, Roman Grosjean got his first IndyCar pole position at the weekend. This weekend just gone with a time of 1.09.4396. This is all in Indianapolis that happened over the weekend. What makes it even greater is that Grosjean literally went into a ball of flames six months ago. So for him to get a pole position in IndyCar following on from that crash is absolutely fantastic. And he said, well, he said on his on his pole position, he's like, I forgot what it was like. Honestly, in the first part of qualifying, I was struggling a bit and my engineer made some really good changes over the run and the car felt so good. When I saw the first qualifying group I was in, I was like, oh dear, if we can get out of the first group, we're going to be okay. That last few laps, we were on it. What a day for us. I'm happier than I have been in a very long time. Unfortunately, Grosjean would not convert that pole into a P1 finish, but he did finish P2 in the race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with Rhinus VK or Rhinus VK winning the race overall. He caught well, he caught down pole sitter Roman Grosjean on lap 45 of that race. In other news, this is also involving Roman Grosjean, is the Turkish Grand Prix, just six weeks after it's been announced, has been cancelled again due to rising COVID cases in Turkey, which is very, very sad. I know that a lot of people really, really wanted to go back to Turkey as last year's race was arguably the race of the season with all the spinning and all the rain. But unfortunately, it's not going to happen this weekend. Well, this year even, not this weekend. It's Monaco this weekend. As a result of the Turkish Grand Prix being cancelled, we now see a double header at set at the Red Bull Ring in Austria. So instead of Turkey, we've got two rounds at the Red Bull Ring in Turkey. Well, at the Red Bull Ring in Austria, like we did at the start of last season. So there will be the Austrian Grand Prix and the Styrian Grand Prix. So as a result of that, it's meant that the French Grand Prix at the Castellet, Paul Ricard, has been moved, and that means that Romain Grosjean will no longer get to test the Mercedes car. He'll still do the full day's test, but he won't do it in front of the French fans anymore, which is very sad, but nonetheless, Romain Grosjean, with that test day for Mercedes, is a very, very sweet thing from Toto Wolff to do, as it makes his last Formula One memory not being burnt burnt to flames but it, it being a championship winning car on track and I think that's really 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 good so Turkey cancelled Austria double header in I'm so glad it was an Austria double header rather than the France double header but it would have been interesting to see if Paul Ricard's circuit had changed the circuit layout because we saw it in Sakir we had different saw it with the Sakir Grand Prix even where there was a different circuit layout because of the outer loop 
it'd be really interesting to see if any of those layouts on Le Castellet, on Paul Ricard, pardon me, I just burped, were any better for racing than the current layout that they use. But nonetheless, I love the Red Bull Ring. It's one of my favourite tracks. I think it's top five for me personally. It's one of my favourite tracks and it's always good to see Grand Prix racing there because, as everyone knows, it is just a gigantic golf cart track. <laughs> it was just a gigantic karting track, isn't it, at the end of the day? So those weekends will be those race weekends will be taking place on the weekend of the 27th and the weekend of the 4th of July following on from the Monaco back at Monaco Azerbaijan and French Grand Prix so F1 came out in in a statement with the promoters in Turkey saying that the promoters in Turkey had requested that we look at the potential opportunity for the race to be rescheduled later in the season if possible alongside China, who made the same request earlier this year. Stefano Domenicali has come out and said, saying we were all looking forward to racing in Turkey, but the travel restrictions in place have meant that we are not we are not able to be there in June. This is because Turkey just got added to the UK's red list, meaning of quarantines and stuff, extra quarantining for the teams, and half the team's factories are in the UK, so it's just very, very unpractical. For them to go there. Domenicali would then go on to say Formula One has shown again that it is able to react quickly to developments and find solutions and we are delighted that we will have a double header in Austria meaning our season remains at 23 races. I want to thank the promoter and authorities in Turkey for all of their efforts in recent weeks and want to thank promoters in France and Austria for their speed, flexibility and enthusiasm in accommodating this solution. We've had very good conversations with all the other promoters since the start of the year and continue to work closely with them during this period. That is of utmost importance in case coronavirus decides to veer its head again in any of the rest of the calendar. I'm looking at you, Interlagos, the Brazilian government, not helping their COVID situation over there. So I, um, even though Interlagos is in November, I'm very doubtful that racing will happen at Brazil, which is a shame because Interlagos is again one of my favourite tracks, top five. Just as long as Zandvoort and just as long as Monza don't get cancelled, I'll be happy as I really want to see what Zandvoort is like because I've never seen a race at Zandvoort before and Monza is my favourite track. He wins in Spa, he wins in Monza. Charles Leclerc is... That line lives in my head every single day. So I just want it to happen again. I just want my boy to start to be in a race winning car again. Moving on to Charles Leclerc, I do think that oh, I, saw, I replied to a tweet on my Twitter at ellisperman 22 if you want to go and follow me for the latest Formula 1 opinions and opinions on Manchester United's performances this season. I retweeted a tweet saying that Charles would be the best driver, he would win titles if he was in a race winning car and a lot of people in the comments really really surprised me actually because I thought everybody knew that Charles was a fantastic driver but it seems like he's been painted with the Ferrari taint as because Ferrari were crap 
Ferrari were crap last season, so they the drivers must be crap also. That's not the case at all. And I really truly drew but really truly do believe that if Ferrari can get back to where they were challenging Mercedes and if they can get their act together, put together a car that can win races consistently, I think Charles is a is a what's the word guarantee for a championship, hundred percent. First season in Ferrari beats his teammate, a four time world champion, sticks it on pole seven times in twenty one races. Arguably should have won more races in twenty nineteen as well. I'll leave that opinion with you, but that is just my opinion on that front. And with that, I think that rounds up the news for this week's podcast. Well, I hope you've enjoyed that episode of the Back Markers podcast. Tried to make it a bit longer one, or normal length one, to make out for missing last week's podcast. My uni work is dying down at the moment so i'll be sure to get a podcast out to you next monday following on from the monaco grand prix and it will be out on time i won't miss a week like i did last week but again thank you thank you for listening to my ramblings on formula one formula one news and you've got to remember that the back markers podcast is your one-stop shop for all things f1 we know the score by now uh, if you want, you can send me a message and I will read it out on the podcast. It is uh, The link is in the description below. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, again, I've said it already, my Twitter is at ellisspearman22. If you want to come and interact with me or talk to me on there, that would be, that'd be pretty good. And um, yeah, share the podcast with your friends. If you think they like F1, if you think they like podcasting in general, and if they want to get into a new sport, then... That's what I'm here for, trying to get more eyes on Formula 1 because it is a very, very important, well, not important, it's a very special sport to me and I'm really enjoying getting the chance to cover it for the first time ever. And yeah, so follow me on Twitter, share the podcast, send me a message if you really fancy it. But we'll be back next week. Normal service resumes at 5pm on a Monday afternoon. But yeah. This has been the Back Marcus Podcast, episode number 14, your Spanish Grand Prix review and Monaco preview. Thank you all for listening, and I will see you all next time.